I, uh, I have heard over the years, um, and, and we've seen, all seen and recognized this, the quality of the Beyond Today uh, program and magazine continues to get better and better and better. Uh, in terms of production value alone, both of those mediums may be as uh, high a quality as the Church of God has ever produced. I mean, when you have somebody uh, with video experience and broadcasting background looking at how those things are put together and uh, and how the message is is uh, is uh, delivered, uh, it's a very high quality. And uh, today, writing on the the reach and uh, frequency and the accessibility of today's uh, very extensive communications channels. It's possible that the work of taking the gospel of the kingdom of God to the, the entire world might be being done as effectively as it has ever been. You don't have the limitations uh, with the limited, uh, with the internet. It just opens all doors, and anybody at any time can access almost anything we've ever done. I don't know if you've ever tried to look up sermons or articles that that were published maybe in the 1950s and 1960s, but they're available. They're out there if you're looking for them. Uh, so God can lead anyone through those uh, those mediums to his word. Unfortunately, similar to the work of Noah before the flood, uh, very few seem to be responding to the warning or the invitation in that message. And we talked about that before, how the gospel message is a warning, certainly, but it's also an invitation. Some may be hearing these, and we just don't see the response in them. And a lot of us have... Uh, not a lot of us. I've heard many complain here, but I've heard others complain that because we're not getting results, you know, people coming to services as a as a result of that effort, that we're failing in it. But it's not the case at all. We have to remember that the purpose of preaching the gospel is not to turn people into the church, kind of divert them into our doors. That's not the goal. The goal has is always been to turn them to God through His Word. And as we read in Acts 2, verse 47, every year at Pentecost, that God is the one that adds to his church. Uh, so we shouldn't judge the, the message or measure the message based upon the, the results we think that we want. God's got a plan. He knows what he's doing with that. God does not measure the effectiveness of our preaching by our results, but by our faith. I want us to think about that for a moment. Do we have faith that God will use that message, that God is reaching people regardless of whether we can see it or not, and regardless of whether we're having growth in the church or not? Those aren't the measures. We need to remember why only a few respond to the gospel of the kingdom of God, and many do not. I'll just refer you to this, the the, uh, parable of the wedding feast uh, that Christ gave in Matthew 22. Uh, He says towards the end of that parable, for many are called, but few are chosen. The chosen is a reference to the elect, those who are part of the body of Christ in this age who are preparing for Christ's return to serve at his side. So in, in examining that message, I know we've done that in great detail before, so I'll just summarize here. The king's invitation was sent out to his son's wedding that he was hosting for his son and his bride, obviously. And it was heard. The message was heard. But many lack the faith to appropriately respond. Uh, This included those who ignored it, those who degraded it, those who even seized and killed his messengers. I mean, that's a, that's kind of a, the warning that Christ gave us. Don't cast your pearls before swine. That's Matthew 7, 6. Don't give what is holy to dogs or, or cast your pearls before swine because they'll turn and trample you. Well, that, It's an indication of what happened there. But there was at least one who did attend, but failed to dress in respect of the occasion. And and isn't that what this is all about? It's not just individuals who respond to a message or an invitation to come, but those who get it, who understand and come for the right reasons in respect of the occasion, the marriage of the king's son uh, to his bride. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 here. This concept of receiving the message in faith is, it says a great deal about the message in our, our effort to, to, uh, uh, to broadcast it. But it also says a great deal about those who respond. In Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll eventually read through chapter 4 verse 2, but let's just read from 7 through 19 in Hebrews chapter 3 here. 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And uh, we've discussed this concept of God's rest and the word Greek word kataposis before. It's something that we do today within Sabbatismos. Looking forward, though, to this future rest that's deeper than simply being you know, free from bondage or, or war or anything like that. Verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's something that we should all be focused on between now and the beginning of the spring spring holy days. Uh, We are to be looking for leavening in, in the metaphor of looking for sin in our lives. Uh, it's a very positive holy day, but it, it doesn't come across that way, at least not initially. If you aren't hit between the eyes with a sin you thought you overcame 40 years ago, and now it's, you find it's still there, squeaking out in many different ways, concepts like pride, lust, fear, uh, foolishness. Uh, if, if you don't see something like that as you move forward, in that you, you don't realize that, you, that that needs to be expunged. That needs to be taken care of. And we need to know the process and how that is done. It's not something, it's not something that we do. It's something we're involved in. But there is a process that God put in place that we need to understand how it works. And that requires faith, obviously. Um, verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. Now we say this in, in, in sometimes in asking uh, or giving thanks to God for food that we are about to partake of. So it's ingested. Look at that with respect to the reference to Christ here. We have become partakers. We have ingested Christ. This is key to understanding something about faith, the most critical thing about faith. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? With whom? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? There's three things listed there that point to unbelief. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter into his rest, that that concept of God's peace, his settled resolve. They could not enter because of unbelief. And we should see here how unbelief is described. Ancient Israel heard, but, verse 16, they rebelled. They heard, they saw the miracles, they understood what Moses was doing and where he was taking them based upon the promises of God, but they still rebelled over and over and over again. They heard, but they still sinned. They violated God's laws. And then second, thirdly, verse 18, it says they disobeyed. This word for disobey is taken from the Greek word apatheo. I believe it's the same origin of the word apathy. But in a much more uh, specific sense, it means uh, they, were, they refused to be persuaded. They were, they were obstinate. Sedentary, wouldn't move, wouldn't budge, wouldn't do what they knew they were supposed to do. Now, if this is how unbelief is described here, would not belief then be defined? Wouldn't faith be defined as being submitted to God, being repentant toward God, being compliant toward his law? Those are the opposites of those three. This is, this is unbelief. Faith is the opposite. And it has has to do with what we do, not just what we hear or believe. Submission, repentance, compliance. Now chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let not us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, 
But the word which they heard did not profit them, did not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. All right. This is not the ex- exact same gospel message, but they're similar. They're, one is a metaphor of the other. The Old Covenant gospel promise given ancient Israel was, again, that settled peace or rest in the promised land, but they did not have the faith to receive it. Sure, there were 40 that died in the wilderness who would not be even entering that land, but even throughout their time in that land, the promised land, afterwards they could not hold it. They could not keep that peace and even pursue it, didn't understand it, didn't have the faith to do so. The New Covenant Gospel is a promise of eternal life in the kingdom of God, but similarly, that message is only understood by those with the faith to receive it. And I stress the phrase, the faith. The gospel ancient Israel heard did not profit them. It didn't change them because it was not mixed with the faith. The faith being belief that engenders practice, work, activity, doing something. Israel believed that uh, what they what they saw. They believed what they heard, so they were believers, but would not accept what they heard or saw with respect to following it, doing it, responding to it appropriately, acting upon it. They turned from Egypt as they were instructed. But they could not fully repent, had no idea what repentance was. It was turning, but not just geographically. Egypt never left them. They followed Moses, but could not fully trust Moses, or even what they saw of God in Moses. They walked through the Red Sea, but they were not fully immersed in it. It was walls on both sides of them. Maybe they got some sea foam in the face, but that's not immersion in God's way of life. Thus, they could not value and faithfully follow God's lead, which is what faith requires. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy what to look for in men assigned to lead in positions within the church that God assigns. In verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'll just read this for you. Uh, he describes those who would serve well as deacons, writing that they should, should already be, quote, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, already applying it in the way that they live. And that should be evident. You should be able to see that in an individual you assigned or God would assign to be a deacon. They hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. There's a difference between saying faith, have faith, and have the faith. The second is much more distinct. It's much more evident. It's much more actionable, but many don't understand that. There's a difference between having faith and having the faith, but this is a mystery known by only a few in this age. Why? This is the uh, seventh message in our series on the mysteries of God. Previously, we have discussed the mysteries of God himself, of his will, of his wisdom, of his Christ, and his gospel of the kingdom of God. With each of these, we've learned how special these revelations are and why so few understand them and aspire to live by them. Today, we will review the mystery of the faith. One would think that everyone who believes in Jesus as the Christ would understand and live by that belief. But many do not. We see these throughout Scripture. We see these even today. Those who claim to worship Jesus as Christ, but don't do what he says. Let's go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, and we'll read verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Notice it's not about saying, it's about doing. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This, this uh, anomia within us, we've discussed this before, the Greek word anomia, which means lawless nature, that all of human beings have a lawless nature. This could be a reference to them doing something God did not instruct them to do. But he's, he, we'll see, it means more about how he instructed them to do something specific that they did not do. And they're not difficult things. Christ's way, he said, is not burdensome. His, his yoke doesn't hinder us. He's walking alongside with us. It's just a matter of choosing to do them. The word Lord here is translated from the Greek word kurios, spelled K-U-R-I-O-S. And it implies possession. It implies ownership. You call someone Lord, you're calling them master. Your master. They own you. Some are not comfortable with that at all. And until they are, have a very difficult time understanding what the faith is. Those who call Jesus their Lord or Master and then pursue their own way reveal that they have not yet submitted their lives to him. No matter what they say or what they think they believe. Note that wonders done by some in Jesus' name doesn't mean that he knows them. He says he did not. And also, even that they have ceased their practice of lawlessness. He says they have not. They are continuing their practice of lawlessness, even though they call him Lord. Look at Mark chapter 9 here. Mark chapter 9, we'll read verses 38 through 41. Mark 9 and verse 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us, Casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him uh, because he uh, does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever, whoever gives you a, a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to, to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Notice this, though. Someone is working in the name of Christ, but they're not following Christ. Notice by the apostles. They're giving the apostles or someone who is working in his name, doing what he tells them to do, but somebody else is giving them a cup of water to drink. They're they're acknowledging this work. They're acknowledging the leadership of Jesus Christ, but for some reason they're not with the apostles. They're not following Jesus Christ. There's a separation there for some reason. Yet they still feel comfortable using his name to accomplish great deeds, supposedly. Being for Christ is not being of Christ. There's a difference, a difference we must recognize because the difference makes, this makes all the difference in the world that we recognize, especially as we approach Passover, what it means to simply be for Christ. You agree with them, you, you like the work he's doing, but you're not necessarily of Christ, not following Christ, not doing what he did, not understanding what he wants us to do, or at least not accepting it. Look at Luke chapter 10 here. Luke 10, we'll read verses 17 through 20. Luke 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy. He had taken 70, the apostles and others to go with them. Two, uh, two by two sent them out uh, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were very impressed by this, very impressed that they could say Jesus' name and the demons would obey what they said. Verse 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The faith values the promise 
over the power. The faith, the faith that we are to have values the promise over the power. Many who profess Christ in this age are more impressed by the latter, the power over the promise. And they reveal that in this age. Look at John chapter 2 here. These are all individuals who have faith in Christ, faith in his name, but are not part of the faith. John 2, verses 23 through 25. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Many believed in his name because of the miracles that he performed. But for this reason, Jesus would not commit himself to them. This is not about results in the now. This is not what God can do for you or what Jesus can do for you. This has much more to do with those who understand they want to be part of that work. They want to live in the same way that Jesus lived. There's a big difference between the two. There was a, I I forget the reference, but do you remember when the uh, the ten lepers came to him and asked him to be healed? And he said, go show yourself to the priests. And on the way to the priests, uh, they were all healed, all of them. Only one, though, turned back. And, and worshipped and praised uh, Jesus as Christ and praised God working through him and thanked him vehemently for that? What was the difference between the nine that just kept walking and the one who returned to be thankful? An acknowledgement of the Christ. What's more important, that you're healed of leprosy or that you just met God? <laughs> I know if I was leprous, that would be very important. I'm not trying to belittle that. But the, the nine who walked away belittled the fact that they just came in contact with the Son of God. One did not. Saw that as very important. Jesus wouldn't commit himself to those who simply looked at the miracles. He understood the selfish nature of flesh and blood. That many who were impressed by his works would seek him with their own agendas rather than submit to his. And you hear this in many churches today. Why should you attend with us? Because we want to show you what God can do for you. The health and wealth gospel. Obey the Bible and you'll be rich. Obey the Bible and you'll be healthy. Is that why you're here? Is that what, that was, are those individuals that God can work with who want only what they can have in this age? I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to belittle healing for anyone who is sick or suffering at all. That's very important. But he wants us to understand in our relationship with him, there's got to be something more important to us, much more important. And this is something we all need to be mindful of, especially as we approach the Passover. Ask yourself, why are you here? Why are you going to the Passover? Is this only about what God can do for you? Or is this what we want to do with God? What we want to do within his plan? How we want to live? Having the faith is simply believing in Christ. That's what many people believe. If having the faith is simply believing in Christ, then why does every example in the faith chapter, Hebrews 11 involves someone who believed God doing what he said, every case. You know, if if having the faith is simply believing in Christ, then why did Jude write that saints must earnestly contend for the faith? That's that's actually a competitive term. You gotta fight for it. You gotta do something. You gotta stand up for it. It's not just about what you have going on in your mind or what your opinion or perspective is, it has much more to do with what we do. This involves action. Faith is, to be the faith, must be actionable. It is right and wonderful to believe Jesus is the Christ. I'm not knocking that, and I'm not knocking anyone who says that. But to know whether we are of the faith 
we must first believe the truth and be living it in love. That's what changes us. It has to do with what we do. Let's go to uh, James chapter 2 here. This is a this is a book that was hated by Martin Luther and anyone who believes that we shouldn't be doing anything that Christ did all the work for us, he obeyed God, he died for us. We got to place all of our faith in Christ, which is not an inaccurate statement, but there's something missing within them that they don't understand. They don't understand why the works are necessary. And that's a separator between those who understand the mystery of the faith and those who do not. James 2, let's begin reading in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? I can stop right there. Let's continue. Can faith save him? That's asked almost sarcastically. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit the deed over just what we say? Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Note that faith in Christ by itself is dead. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't change anything. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You're looking for evidence of Jesus Christ within you over the next four weeks, and we should all be doing that. Where do you look? What are you doing? What are you doing? Faith can be measured in that. Are you simply keeping his Sabbath, not eating certain non-foods? Are you planning to keep his holy days? Is that the extent of what you're doing? Is that going to produce growth? Some. You're obeying as much as you can. Between now and then, we're supposed to be looking deeper for evidence of Christ within us. And that's the key of understanding what the faith is. Verse 19, you believe there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. It's an interesting statement. In, in Mark earlier, uh, we noted that the demons um, were subject to Christ. But in their works, rebellion, deception, disruption, they deny him. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Look at Titus. Keep your finger there. We'll come back. Look at Titus 1 here. After Second Timothy, Titus 1 and uh, verse Let's read verse 10 here to get a context, and then we'll read verses 13 through 16. Titus 1, verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, pointing to the Jews. Now, verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Not sound in faith, not just sound in what they believe, but in the faith. Uh, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To pure, uh, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Something's not working in the conscience when they believe one thing, but they do another. If they say they're a follower of Jesus Christ, but they don't actually follow him, they don't do what he did, they don't have the same goals, they don't keep the same commands, his commands, which he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's something happening in the conscience that separates it. It's got to be healed first before they can actually do what God is commanding them to do. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Applied to ancient Israel, applies here even to the demons. James' appeal for works of faith in this chapter 
works of faith, submission before God, repentance from sin, compliance to his law, reveals that those in the faith act on what they believe. Let's keep reading here. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Some don't want to know that. They want to believe what they want to believe, but they want to do what they want to do. Do you want to know that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? This is what the works are all about. If we don't apply ourselves in doing what God has instructed us to do, in in living, walking the path or the way that Christ walked, and the way he walked it, we will never learn that walk. And that's what this is all about. It will never become part of who we are if we just believe it. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That reference to a friend of God reminds me of a quote that Christ said toward his apostles. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. You want to be a friend of God? Many say, I want to be a friend of God. I want to be a friend of Jesus Christ. Do what he tells you to do. That's very simple, but incredibly, it's a mystery to so many. Uh, verse 24, so you see that a man is justified by works. This reference to justification is forgiveness of past sins. We'll talk about that in uh, Challenger because that's a term that is misused a lot. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Turning from past sins uh, is part of the justification process where God can forgive us because we've, we've made a commitment to him that we're not going to do this anymore. We're moving in a different path. We're following the way of Jesus Christ. He then justifies. He forgives us of our past sins. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Notice it does not reference her lying. It, it references her trusting in God as best as she could and saving those messengers, those spies. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Again, James' appeal for works of faith include things like submission to God, repentance from dead works, as uh, Hebrews 6 refers to them, and compliance to his law, a desire to keep it, not an ability or a skill. Yeah, we're going to stumble in trying to do something that's divine, But the path is open for us. The path that Christ is on, that he's inviting us to come along on, is open to us. The veil was split for us. And he went through it for us. Those who have or live in the faith act on what they believe. They live the way that Christ lived. There's several references in the book of Acts about Christianity being called the way. It is a path that needs to be walked. It's not just a recognition, oh yeah, that's where I need to go. But for now, I'm going to do this. Yet this, this, this is why this continues to be a mystery for many believers who see works as a futile effort to earn salvation. You've ever been accused of that? Oh, you're a Sabbath keeper? What are you trying to earn salvation? You think you can get into heaven by keeping the law? That's, that's so much wrong with that statement. It's hard to even begin to address it. They see it as a futile effort to earn salvation that Christ already earned. So they considered effectively denying him and his work. But in in reality, because they don't understand the mystery, they are denying the work that that we have an invitation to the family of God. And it's living in the way Jesus Christ lived that enables us to be ready for that when he returns and to show him that we would be faithful, faithful bride. Look at Ephesians 2 here. This this is a verse that often gets uh, pulled out of context and, and misinterpreted by many. We'll read verses 8 through 10. 
Uh, many of us have been accused of this over the years. Our past in the history of the church, we've been accused of trying to earn salvation by keeping the law, and that's just not it at all. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We believe that, okay? We don't believe that we're earning anything by keeping God's law. We keep God's law because it is the way of Jesus Christ. It is the way of the God family that we have been invited to be part of. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't brag about our works. Yeah, I keep the Sabbath. Yeah, I keep the Holy Days. I do all these wonderful things. I'm going to, I'm going to be with God forever. That's, that's not what earns us that privilege um, or that responsibility. Someone with a mindset like that couldn't handle that responsibility, Israel, the demons, and so on. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Or you could say recreated for good works. Uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's about action. It's about doing things. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It is Christ in us, in fact, that accomplishes those works. That's his workmanship in us, com- complying, you know, yielding to the, the master potter's shaping of us. Hold to that form. Strive for it. In John 14 and verse 10, Christ said something astounding. He, he, in other places, he would say, uh, you know, I, I can do nothing of myself. And in John 14, 10, he says, the father who dwells in me does the works. That is a, a fantastic concept to understand that helps us to understand what the faith is. Because it's, it's God working in us that's doing the works. So if we have the faith uh, to do something because God said, do it, God gave us that ability. It is a gift, as is mentioned here in Ephesians. It's a gift. This indwelling of God reveals that works of the faith are evidence of the faith of Christ working within us, and they require great personal involvement on our part. See, and, and those who don't understand think that the faith of Christ is what saves us, that that's something outside of themselves. What he did, what he did on the cross, how he was resurrected, how he lived and taught, how he established that way, that's my, my faith is in what he did. That doesn't require anything of me. How could I do that? They don't see, they don't understand the end goal here. They don't understand what we're being called and elected for and why we need to live faithfully within that context to live with them forever, be in the God family. Um, in James 2, that whole summary is discussing belief in Christ apart from the works of Christ. So if we have belief in Christ apart from the works of Christ, we're dead. Our faith is dead. It doesn't flourish. It doesn't grow. It doesn't develop the nature of God, which is the end purpose. Some believe that's just all going to happen. God's going to snap his fingers, and eventually I'm just going to be sinless and wonderful, and everything's going to be peachy. No, it involves our, our heartfelt effort in doing things. Faith in Christ thrives, lives only in the faith of Christ. Let me say that again, because I know it's, it slips by. Faith in Christ thrives, it lives only in the faith of Christ. And that's what we need to look at here when we see the separation of those who understand this mystery and those who do not. The faith, the faith, is the faith of Christ. But it's that same faith dwelling within us, applied by us. It is the faith of Christ within that enables believers to live by their belief, that enables them to change, not just what they do, but who they really are. 
when I counsel people for baptism, I, I remind them, this is not just about you repenting of what you have done. This is about repenting of who you are. Because what you do certainly needs to change. But what you do comes from who you are. What Who you are needs to change. This is especially important to remember as we examine ourselves prior to the Passover. As I said earlier, finding sin is a disheartening process. The, the, the mind wants to reject it. That's, I'm not really that bad. I'm not really, all right, I, I realize I've got this little issue over here, but I don't want to really look at it because it's, it's going to be depressing and I don't want to be depressed. But this is what we've got to go through if we're doing this honestly as we approach the Passover. We have to find sin. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's why it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've got to put out all the leaven, which is a, which is a, uh, a metaphor for sin. So if you're putting out the leaven, bread, or any leavening products whatsoever, you're putting out sin. But you've got to find it first. You've got to look for it. That's actionable. It's something we've got to do, which is difficult to do. It's like and in ridding our homes of all leaven, it's impossible. We know that it's in the air. You know, we can get a toothbrush and go into the corners of our attic and get out all the... That's, that's not... Don't do that. That's, you're never going to get rid of all the leaven. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. We are commanded to do so. But it's, the metaphor is, is fitting. Putting out sin is impossible of ourselves. But, but, but there is a process that God has for doing that. The practice of doing so... Uh, in that process, is empowered by the faith, the very faithfulness of God residing within us. Let's look at this scripture, Second Corinthians 13. Second Corinthians 13 and verse 5. This is a profound statement uh, packed into one verse here. Reading the context here, uh, is it, it's always important to do that, but it's like the, all of it is built around this verse. Second Corinthians verse 5 says this. Examine yourselves, which is what we're supposed to be doing now. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. It doesn't say examine yourself to determine whether you believe. This is not just about what's going on in your mind. It starts there, but it's got to do something. It's got to accomplish something. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you are, that you will know that we are not disqualified. If Jesus Christ is not in us, we are disqualified. Those who are in the faith have Christ dwelling in them. Thus they live by the faith of Christ within. That means obeying is every word. That means seeking that out. It even means taking courage to look for sin, violations of his law within us at the deepest level, the principal level, prior to the Passover and other times through the year. There's a... There are many newer Bible versions that have changed the King James phrase, faith of Christ, to the phrase, faith in Christ. And it really takes the meaning away from those, those uh, two scriptures. We'll look at two today. I'll just, you can just write these down and we'll go there in a moment. Galatians 2 verse 16 and Philippians 3 and verse 9. In those two, there's significant changes of the King James Version, faith of Christ, to the phrase, faith in Christ. It makes those verses redundant. As we will read through them, you'll see that. But it also confuses many as to where that faith comes from. So the concept of having faith in Christ seems to uh, be the responsibility of the individual. But referencing the faith of Christ points to what he did, what he accomplished, that we need to embrace and join We'll go there in a minute. This is a very confusing thing as it places the emphasis on what believers do instead of what Christ did for believers. It also leads many to think that 
Faith can be mustered up somehow rather than given. Faith is given. As you can read in, in Jude, you can read in uh, just a list in, in Galatians 5 and a list of the qualities of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is one of those. God grants those. Now, he doesn't, in, he doesn't uh, make you believe. You have free moral agency. You make that choice yourself. But he empowers you with his spirit so that you can believe. You can not just think it, but actually act upon what you believe. Uh, this is especially true, again, in these two key verses. Uh, let's read these. Let's go to Galatians 2 first. Galatians chapter 2. And we'll, we'll read the context here, uh, verses 11 through 20. I'm going to focus on verse 16, though. I want to explain what's going on here so that we understand the framework that Paul was stating this in. Galatians 2 and verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul writes, I withstood him to his face because he, face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, the Jews. So in practice, with the Gentiles, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when the Jews came, he did not want to uh, cause a problem with the Jews. Instead of addressing their wrong concept and idea that they couldn't eat with fellow believers just because they weren't Jews or circumcised, he, he withdrew from them. Paul took offense to this and pointed it out. Verse 13, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. He did the same thing. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ in the King James. In the New King James and other translations, it simply says, by faith in Jesus Christ. New King James rightly translates this, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even as we believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by uh, the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Now, does that mean the law is thrown out? Some think so. Some think that ah, the law doesn't matter. We, I live by my faith in Christ. But rightly translated, the faith of Christ, he kept the law. He inspired the law to be written down. He encouraged everyone to keep it. Even as Lord of the Sabbath, he kept the Sabbath. And he inspired us to do the same. Those who believe enough to do. Those who have the faith of Christ within them. This has more to do with the mindset here, the goal. You're going to, you're going to accomplish uh, great and wonderful things based upon how great and wonderful you are? Are you going to qualify to be in the family of God forever based upon your skills and abilities? See how that completely overlooks things like repentance, submission, compliance with God's law? Verse 17, but if we, while, while we seek to be justified, again, forgiven of past sins, that's what justification means, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly and not. Is Christ, or even the belief in Christ, an indication that he was a minister of violating the commandments? Obviously not. That's what sin is. Certainly not. Verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. This is the way Paul used to think. But he had to address that when he made that transition into true Christianity. And he recognized that Peter, Barnabas, and others had not yet understood that. Verse 19, for through the law, uh, I'm sorry, for I through the law died to the law. In other words, trying to earn salvation by keeping the law. That I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. With Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus faithfully fulfilled the will of the Father to provide humanity redemption through his sacrifice. Any number of scriptures tell us that. You just write down Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10 verses 5 through 10. Good scripture to review as we move forward to the Passover. Certainly, as Paul says here, no amount of keeping the law justifies any amount of breaking the law. Whether that happens before you are justified or after you are justified or during. No amount of keeping the law justifies any amount of breaking the law. But justification, again, is only God's forgiveness of our past sins. It's not for any ongoing or future practice of breaking his law. And we read that in 1 John 3, 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10, where John discusses the practice of righteousness versus the practice of sin. That he is righteous who practices righteousness, and he is a sinner who practices sin. We should have moved ourselves away from the practice of sin, doing sin, and doing the things that lead to righteousness. God will not apply the blood of his Son to those who intend to continue sinning. He won't do that. Hebrews 6.6, 6, he says, can't do that. It would put him to an open shame. Hebrews 6.6. 6. There must be a going forward from justification toward salvation, which is in the future. There must be a going forward in the way of Christ, in the way that Christ lived as practiced by those in the faith, because it's the faith of Christ within them. When you hear that phrase, the faith, 42 times in the authorized version of the New Testament, King James Version, that's used, the faith, apart from simply faith or faith in. When you hear that phrase, recognize it's the faith of Christ. That's what our faith is. We believe and do as our Savior believed and did. There must be an, an, a, a going forward in that way uh, practiced by those in the faith. There must be an ongoing confession of our sins before God that entails all the elements of seeking his repentance, uh, trusting in his promises, immersing ourselves in his Christ, and submitting to the power of his Spirit within that's a short description of the way it also describes those in the faith. Something, this is something that belief alone cannot do. The faith is the faith of Christ within God's elect. And it's the faith that he, that he had, that he displayed, that he lived by. Let's look at that other verse I told you about, Philippians chapter 3. The verses 3 and verse 9, but we will also uh, uh, read into it from verse 8 and cover through verse 16. Uh, Philippians 3 and verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Review this scripture and meditate on this scripture as as we all approach Passover this year. I, I know that we admit this in ourselves. We admit this before our baptism. We, we are dying to the old life. We're going forward in the new. We should be reviewing the entire concept of baptism as we move toward the Passover, as the Passover is only for baptized members. This concept of putting aside everything, like Paul did here, counting them as rubbish, Every, everything of this world, certainly not the things that God supplies, uh, uh, the, the, the ability to rear family, to marry within the faith and, and, and rear godly children, the ability to meet on his Sabbaths and holy days, this whole preparation process, the fellowship that we share in in Christ, all of that is wonderful stuff. But what about all the other things? Are, the, are, are they been put aside? Have they been... That they've been put behind Christ. You could you could find works of the faith in 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 that examination. Uh, verse nine, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, 
which is from the law, or keeping the law, believing that keeping the law is going to keep us righteous, but that which is, or make us righteous, or earn us salvation, I should say, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is not just a reference of what Christ did. This is a reference to where Christ dwells. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us all be of the same mind. This phrase, our own righteousness, is based on a belief that salvation is rewarded by how well we keep the law. This makes us legalists, focused on the trivial and the ritual, looking for loopholes around the law. Um, by the way, there aren't any. <laughs> there are no loopholes in God's law. That's a, that is a condition of men's human law. The other phrase that's juxtaposed to this is the righteousness which is of God by faith. This is based upon living his law. This is based upon a living confession that only Christ in us will lead us to salvation, will change us and develop us to the point in time where we can stand at his side at his return. This is what inspires believers to immerse themselves in his word and spirit on a regular basis, in prayer and in study, applying the principles of his law in the depth of our very being. And every Passover that you keep, that any of us keep, this should be the thing we see, the meter ticking forward, the measure ticking forward every year. Are we getting better at applying the principle of God's laws in the very depth of our being? This is the faith of Christ within. And it is that faith that enables the deaf to hear. And for those preparing for his Passover, rightly, that faith also enables the spiritually unaware to understand. It's the faith of Christ within that restores sight to the blind and vision to the spiritually short-sighted. It's the faith of Christ within that raises the infirm to their feet and restores the repentant back onto the path of righteousness. The first ones are metaphors that happen in this world to help us to understand what the faith of Christ in us can do as we prepare for his coming kingdom. And that should be our focus in the next four weeks. It is by the faith of Christ within that believers act on their belief to change not just what they do, but who they are. Let's finish here in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read verses 11 through 13. And he himself, this is Christ, within this concept of unity within the church. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor-teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry or service, for the edifying of the body of Christ that we are all in. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal. 
God's goal. This is the objective, and it can only happen with Christ within. It is only by the faith of Christ within us that believers overcome the rebellious and disobedient ways of human nature and embrace the submissive and lawful ways of the God family. The faithful are reminded of this each time they prepare for the Passover of Jesus Christ. But this remains a mystery to those who have yet to fully submit to God, who have not yet fully repented of their sins toward him, and who have not fully immersed themselves in obedience to his will. The faith is ever so much more than simply believing in Christ. It is a lifelong practice of developing the faith of Christ. Christ. 